Good morning, everyone. If you don't know me, uh, a little business, a little history. My name's Gabe Hendricks. That was my wife, Diane. Uh, September, we'll have been married 41 years. Uh, uh, my faith story, I've grown up in this fellowship, came to faith. The Lord brought me to faith when I was 21 and been here basically ever since. Done a lot of different things. My wife and I early on worked with the youth group, um, which our pastor, Mike Fay, was a part of way back when, so it kind of shows you how old we are. Um, he was a little guy when we were helping out then. Uh, I've served on uh, the elder board for about eight years, uh, and right before COVID hit, I felt like the Lord was leading me away from that. Um, but just to let you know, um, the, your elders have graciously put me in the pulpit this morning. We'll see how they feel after it's over. But uh, the other thing to go along with that is that I also feel like the Lord might be moving me back into fellowship on the elder board, serving in that uh, realm again. Not for sure yet, don't know, but I would just put that out there. If you are a person who prays, maybe you could pray. Yeah, just that the elders and I would be unified in our thought. Because uh, if it's where I'm supposed to be, I want to be there. But if it's not, I don't want to be a problem either. So if you would pray, that would be great. Um, so that's a little bit about me. So let's pray real quick. Father, thank you. Uh, for who you are. Thank you that you chose to create. Give us life in so many ways. May you be glorified this morning. In Christ's name, amen. Yeah, this is going to be fun today, folks. Yeah. Um, so I have a box of Kleenex up here. Uh, anyway, the title of this morning I came up with was Value. Who values who? And everybody understands value. Um, the, the first thing I would say in regards to value is this book. The value of it to us as God's people is beyond measure. I would read this to you just to kind of set the stage for this morning. Hebrews 4.12 says this, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So when I think about that in regards to the Word of God, it's living and it's active, which even to try and understand that fully is difficult because how is a book alive? And yet, if you're a follower of Christ this morning and you've spent time in his word, you would probably attest to that. You would probably say that, yes, I understand to a degree what it means about the word of God being alive. Because I can read a portion of scripture and, and, and the spirit of God can speak to me and give me insight and give me wisdom. But then sometime later I can read the same portion of scripture and God can say something different to me, which is a mystery, and yet that affirms what it says, that it's living and active, and it's sharp, and it can cut right through me, you, to our hearts, 
which is the key, which is the key. So my wife just read those verses, and it's another couple of parables, and the elders have been leading us through the parables, and parables are a funny thing because they're Jesus' stories, and he's got some meaning in them. And sometimes we look at them and we think, well, this is what it means. And then another time we'll look at the same parable and go, ah, I think this is what it means. And the beauty of it is that I think Christ is very faithful as we read his word to give you, me, us, what he wants us to know in the moment. Because tomorrow we're not promised. But we're here this morning. And, and even as I say that and I look at all of you, I want you to know you're not here by chance. You're here because God has ordained that you be here, which is incredible when you think about that. The God of the universe has ordained that we be together this morning, hopefully to elevate the Lord Jesus. So the first thought that I had on those three verses that my wife read was, and maybe you have the same thought, is that we reach a point in our lives where we realize how valuable Christ is, how valuable the gospel is, and we grab a hold of it, and we say, yes, I value Jesus that much. I value the gospel that much, okay? And that's how I thought as I've read this parable before. I've, I've felt that way, and the funny thing is when, when I knew where I was going to be preaching on this morning, I got a good friend, really good friend, and I called him up and I said, hey, here's what I'm going to be preaching on. I just want you to read these three verses, think about them, and then get back to me in the next couple days. Tell me what you think. He did. He was faithful to do it. And, and his response was what I thought it would be. It was, hey, I'm so thankful for this because I found Jesus. I realized the value of the gospel, and I grabbed a hold of it, which I thought is what his answer would be. He's a man who... I love him to death, but he's go, go, go. He's, he's just, he's one of those type of personalities, which is really great. But he just gets really emotional and fired up. And it's funny that I'm saying emotional because that's all I do is fall apart up here. But anyway, his response was pretty much what I thought. I thought this way too until the Spirit of Christ began convicting my heart. Because the glory of Christ is just that. It's the glory of Christ. It's all his. I don't have any say. I have no right on any part of the gospel to put my hands on and say, this is me. This is mine. I did this. No. No. Jesus Christ is worthy of all glory. This is his story. It's not mine. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to share with you this morning my conviction as I've read these couple of three verses. We're going to bounce around the Bible a little bit. But I want you to know where I'm coming from. Now, is, at the end of this, you may not agree with me, and that's okay. That's okay, because God's Word is living and active. But this is what God has spoken to me as I've prepared for this. So the first place I want us to go is all the way back to the beginning of your Bible. Go way back to Genesis. And if you want to go with me, I'll read these verses. If you want to look them up yourself, that's fine. If not, you can just listen. First place I would take us is chapter 2 of the book of Genesis. 
starting at verse 7, and it just says that the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. God breathed life, and man became a living creature. Verse 18 of the same chapter says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Made him a helper. That's good. Verses 21 and 22, same chapter says, So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And then in verse 25, it says, And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. That's probably really familiar to you, okay? It's a beautiful picture. It's a beautiful picture. God created, which when I think about that, it's so funny because God does not need me, does not need you. But out of his incredible love, which I know this much, he chose to create us, give us life, give us relationship. It's just absolutely a beautiful picture. If you flip over to the right, a couple chapters, a few chapters there, go to chapter 6. Verses 5 through 7 of chapter 6 say this, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heaven, for I am sorry that I have made them. So how quickly the scene changes from God saying, it is good, to then God saying, I am sorry that I've made man. grieved him to his heart. I guess the question I asked myself and I asked you this morning is, have you ever contemplated that exact moment in the history of mankind where God looked on his creation and said, what a mess they've made. I'm sorry that I made them. And right then and there, God could have just chose to wipe out mankind and be done with us. Because he doesn't need us. He doesn't need us. But the story doesn't end there. I'm so, so, so thankful for his grace at that moment. His good, good grace. So now go into the New Testament with me. Because that was a long time ago. We'll kind of look at things as they are today. Moving forward, Romans chapter 3. I'm going to read a little bit, a few verses here, starting at verse 10 of chapter 3. It says, As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave, they use their tongues to deceive. The venom of ass is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. 
And in verse 23, it says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that's Paul speaking in his situation at that time. But it's the same today. And for me, what really struck me was that last piece of, script, of, of verse 18. that it, Paul said, there is no fear of God before their eyes. And in the world we live in today, and in my experience, the small piece that I'm in, and God has me involved with different people at different times, I would agree with that. Most people that I run into that aren't followers of Christ, they have no fear of God. I've been in the faith. Jesus saved me. I'm born again through his spirit, through his power, through his love, about 42, three years ago now. But you know what? When I contemplate God's holiness, it's still terrifying. It is. Because when Christ saves me, saves you, he saves us to himself and at the same time from himself. Have you ever thought about that? Because as time goes on into the future and whenever Christ chooses to return, he is going to put an end to evil. He's going to put an end to death. He's going to put an end to sin. And it isn't going to be like the precious sacrificial lamb that he came the first time. He's a warrior. And he's holy. And even as I say that, it's like I don't understand his holiness. But that's the reality of it. So it's good, I think it's good and healthy for us at times to contemplate the holiness of God, to contemplate who he is. Ephesians chapter 2, first three verses says, And you, me, Gabe Hendricks, were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That's a picture of us, folks, before Jesus. Children of wrath. And God's wrath is coming, and it's coming for all those who say no to Christ. I don't need Christ, and I don't wish that on anyone. Anyone. The book of John And this is where I think it really starts to clarify and become clear, at least for me, as I've studied, as I've prepared. John chapter 3. It's that famous chapter of John having a conversation with Nicodemus, who at the time, I think Nicodemus was pretty intelligent. The teacher of Israel is what Jesus refers to him. But in verse, verse 3 of John 3, Jesus answers Nicodemus. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Cannot see the kingdom of God. And then in verse 10, Jesus answers Nicodemus again, and he says, Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? 
So when you talk about, we're talking about these parables and trying to understand what God is speaking, what he wants us to glean from, what he wants us to know. Without Christ indwelling your life, it's impossible. Nicodemus is the teacher of Israel. He knows more than anyone about God. Yet he doesn't understand born again. He has no concept. What? And Jesus asks him, aren't you the teacher, and yet you don't understand the simple truth of being born again? And when you think about that, when I think about that, I hope that as we go through this, that you're pondering that in your own heart, in your own mind. Children of wrath, without Christ, trying to grasp who God is. As we've read through those verses, they've all dealt with people who you and I are, were. I don't want to make an assumption on anyone here. Christ has redeemed me. He's given me. He's placed his spirit in me, and so he's given me some discernment in regards to his word. But before that point, I was actually shared the gospel with by a man who was one of my teachers way back in high school. And he laid it out very clearly, very succinctly. And I said, I don't need it. 18 years old, I don't need it. I'm invincible. And by God's grace and by God's grace alone, three years later, Jalen's dad shared the gospel with me. And God used James to bring me to faith. I don't know if you knew that or not, but yeah. Christ didn't give up on me. Christ didn't give up on me. But before that, dead in my sin, no concept, no understanding at all. So how can a dead person seek or find a treasure? Because again, the verses say that there was a man who saw something in a field, saw that it was of great value, bought the field so he could have what was there. I don't believe that's me, and I don't believe that's you, and I don't believe that's any person who doesn't know Christ personally because we're dead in our trespasses and sins until Christ redeems us. Ephesians, back to the book of Ephesians, and again, these are verses that you probably know really well, but... I love the simplicity and the clarity. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And what's key to me in that verse is that the gospel is not for sale. So to me, for me to think I saw the gospel and I sold everything to buy it, to buy Jesus First off, I'm dead. I can't fathom that. And secondly, what in the world do I have outside of Christ that's of any value of anything? Nothing. I got nothing. Zero. Back to the Old Testament. And you don't have to jump around if you don't want to. Um, but I think it's just clarifying for me that we understand, that I understand our picture, our position without Jesus. 
Chapter 14 of Psalms says, The fool says in his heart, There is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good. Not even one. Not even Gabe Hendricks. So outside of Christ, folks, our picture is not pretty. We are children of wrath, dead in our sin, blind, deaf, no comprehension of the gospel. Which is why in the beginning when I said, all glory to Jesus Christ. Because if Jesus doesn't move on my life and doesn't move on your life, there is no hope. But thanks be to God, right? That Jesus is who he is and that he loves us. Our situation outside of Christ intervening for us, not pretty. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. There's one God, there's one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. The man Christ Jesus. It's all about him. So if we go back to the scripture, and I'm just going to read these two verses, 45 and 46, it says again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. So there's the merchant. And he's looking for pearls, and he sees one. And he sees one that he deems incredibly, incredibly, incredibly valuable. And he buys it. Okay? So again, our situation as sinners dead in our sin, we're not seeking the kingdom of heaven. We're not looking for Christ. We don't have any concept of the gospel we're dead in our sin. Christ and the salvation that he offers is not for sale. John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. It's a gift. Salvation is an absolute gift of God to his glory, to his glory. So how do I see these two verses of scripture? This is how I see them. The merchant is Christ. It's Jesus. Now again, as we go through this, you may read it and read it differently, and that's okay. But I'm giving you what God has given me for this morning. The merchant is Christ. He left his heavenly home, came to earth in search of pearls. He found one pearl of great value. I believe that one pearl of great value is his church. His people. And if you're a follower of Christ this morning... It's you. It's you. Thanks be to God. So, in this, and in your life, and if you're in the faith, if you belong to Jesus, I just had the thought myself, have, I, have you ever wondered how much Christ values you? Values me? Because it's beyond my comprehension, even remotely 
to be able to comprehend the value Jesus puts on his people. Y'all know this, but I don't know how often we contemplate it. He gave his life for the church. He gave his life. That's not something you've never heard. But at least for me, it's something that I need to contemplate more. He gave his life. Our sin, my sin, your sin, wounded him. And when I think about that in my own life, personally, My sin put him on the cross. Mine. But he gave up all that was rightfully his. All that was rightfully his. And I don't even know what that is. Which is, when I contemplate it, it makes me pause. Second Corinthians eight. Verse nine says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake, for my sake, he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. The richness of Christ. If you know what that is, I want you to explain it to me. I don't. I just know that he's the king of kings, the king of the universe, creator of all, the author, the giver, the sustainer of life. Also holds the keys to death and Hades. He's the sacrificial lamb, and he's the conquering warrior, all at the same time. So one pearl of great value from the scripture, which I believe is the church, his precious bride. Which if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, that's you. That's you. Now, Diane's my bride, and I have endeavored over 41 years to love her. Sometimes I'm pretty good, sometimes I'm not. But I see the grace of God so often through her on my life Because when I don't love her well, and when she sees me at my worst, she chooses to love me. That's Jesus. Because Jesus looks at Gabe and says, Gabe, what are you doing? Don't you know that I love you? Don't you know that I care about you? More than you'll ever know. I'm envious a little bit of Charlie right now. Because Charlie's experiencing the glory of Christ in a way that only you and I can sort of imagine. Sort of imagine. The interesting thing here is, talks about a pearl. One pearl out of many pearls that the merchant saw and said, wow, that is the one. And I didn't know this until I started studying. And maybe you do. Maybe it'll, it'll not be new to you, but it was very interesting to me. But a pearl, it's not a stone like a diamond. It's formed 
by a living organism, which you, you might know. But it's a grain of sand or some other little foreign piece of material that intrudes itself into the shell of a small sea creature of some kind. You know, oysters a lot, yeah. But it hurts and it harms the host. So whatever that little piece of material is goes into the creature and it plants itself there and then it begins to hurt the host, whatever it is. Okay? Well, the response of the host is that it sends out a secretion that coats over the piece of sand or the foreign material, whatever it is, and fluid builds up and builds up and builds up until a pearl is formed, which is fascinating to me, how God designed the world. That little piece is like, wow, that's crazy. A piece of sand or something, over time, inside a host, it just forces its way in there and hurts it, but the host goes the other way and says, I'm going to do something good with that, and starts forming some kind of secretion that over time produces this incredibly beautiful pearl. Well, Christ came to earth in search of his bride, the church, found her, took our sin, yours and mine, bore it in his body. Bore it in his body. Fascinating. Because in the book of Isaiah, which again, this is familiar scripture, Isaiah 53, verse 5, says, But he, Jesus, was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. So Jesus, the one who created us, our sin, he took on himself, in himself. It wounded him. Ultimately, it cost him his life. My sin cost him his life. And what did he do? Covered my life with his shed blood. And now I stand here this morning endeavoring, attempting to share that incredible love that Jesus Christ has for you and I. My sin wounded him, bore it in his body, and he covered it and me with his shed blood. The only thing, the only thing that can redeem me from my dead position. I went from worthless to priceless in his sight, and I had nothing to do with it. It's all his good, good, good grace. Second Corinthians. Sorry for jumping around, but it's just God's word is alive. God's word is alive. Second Corinthians chapter five. Again, I gotta get it in the right Corinthians. Verse 21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, 
so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus, the perfect one, the holy one of God, the absolute king of the universe, said, I am going to go to the cross and bear the sin of all who would believe me, of all who would trust me. I'm going to take that sin in my life and I'm going to pay the ultimate price because I love my bride. I love my bride. By his shed blood, we're healed. And you can read that in Ephesians chapter 1. And I don't know, maybe that's the whole point of this morning, is, is contemplating, contemplating all that Christ has done for us through the cross. Ephesians chapter 10, verse 17. And again, I think this ties in perfectly with the parable of who is the merchant. Certainly wasn't me looking for Jesus. It was the opposite. It was Jesus came looking for me. Because Romans 10, 17 says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. I can't conjure faith up, folks. I don't think you can either. Faith comes when the Spirit of God moves on a life and opens our ears, opens our eyes, opens our mind, and softens our heart, which is work that only God himself can do. It's all his work. It's all his glory. It's Jesus and no one else. No one else. So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. So how important is God's word? How important is God's word? It's everything. Because if we don't hear it, it's because we're dead in our sin. So expose ourselves to the word of God, and God will speak. God will speak. Ephesians chapter 2. Is that where I want to go again? Yeah, he gives us purpose. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So it's his gift, it's his grace, given to us, but not given to us just to say, there you go. There's purpose, which he ordained way back before the beginning. And even that, it's like, how do you explain God in the beginning? Because God has always been. He didn't have a startup. God has been, and at some point, God chose to create everything. And time is one of those things he created. And this is the beauty of the church and the purpose. In the same book, 
chapter 5 of Ephesians, verse 25. And gentlemen, listen up for a minute if you're married. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for us, gave himself up for her. And I think we could talk about that for days, weeks, months. Because part of what Jesus says to me in regards to my beautiful wife is, love her the way I love you. And then I go, what? You love me perfectly. I don't even know how that works. How can I possibly do that? But that's what I'm called to do. And through God's grace and through his spirit, I think he'll say, Gabe, I'm going to help you do that. I'm going to help you love my wife. And by his grace, 41 years later, she still says, yes, I love you. And I'm with you to the end. She's living proof in my life of the grace of God. Yeah. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. And I think that scripture in regards to the pearl, I think Jesus saw his church in its finished glory. I don't look at myself that way. I look at myself as old, flawed, broken. Like, who is that in the mirror? How did that happen? Some of you may have the same thought. But I also, what I glean from that is Jesus sees us in his glory. And it says he presents the church, his church, to himself. So for, folks, I think, I think a key part of what we're doing in this life and in this fellowship, what Jesus wants is to do that work in us, to fill us with his glory that he then presents to himself and says, look what I've done. I've taken this worthless Man, dead in his sin, I've covered him in my shed blood. And he's now my son. I did a work that only I can do, Jesus speaking, not me. Not me. Jesus chose to create you and I for his glory. He gave up everything, everything that's rightfully his. To glorify himself in the redeemed church. I've spoken a lot about glory and why I believe this, these, this parable is all about the person of Christ. It's, and he came searching. He came searching for you and I. He came searching for his church. And I think these verses are real key for me in remembering that. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I'm going to read about 10 or 12 verses here. But verse 18 says, And I, in my own life, as I've 
the times that in the past that I've preached, and even this time, and I'll be preaching, I'll be in the pulpit again next week. I think, I think it's always fascinating that wherever God has me as far as what the topic will be, the, the scripture will be, there's always something going on in my life that is absolutely spot on what the scripture is dealing with. And as I read this verse, there are some people that are near and dear to my heart. that I would give my life for. Verse 18 of of chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And there are some people in my life that that is the situation right now. They think the cross is folly but to us it's the key to everything folks if Jesus wasn't willing from the very beginning this isn't something he decided in the moment way back before the foundation of the world Jesus said father I'm going I'm going to the cross I love my church I'm going to do that continuing on in that chapter starting at verse 22 it says for Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom but we preach Christ crucified a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles but to those who are called both Jews and Greeks Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God for the foolishness of God is wiser than men The weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, because of Jesus, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord." Christ gets all the glory. I wasn't looking for him. Jesus came looking for me. He left his throne. He left his throne. He left his throne. The king of the universe left his throne, said, Father, I'm willing to go to the point of dying in our place. And just from my perspective, I can't imagine. Just contemplate for a second. When you sin and you know when you do, 
And you know how it feels? It's not good, okay? And it hurts, and until you confess it, ask for forgiveness, make right with someone maybe that you need to, then you start to kind of, okay, I can get by that. So I think of Jesus and his willingness to die for my sin, but it wasn't just mine. It was for all who would put their trust in him. Beyond count, how many sins, the kinds of sins, the, the weight of the sin, I don't know. I don't know. But Jesus bore it all. So just that part of it is astounding to me that Jesus was willing, what he physically suffered. But for me, just me, my mind always goes to God is, was, and always will be, and he's always been in perfect relationship with himself. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. In perfect relationship, always. Except for when Jesus went to the cross. Because the word says his father turned his back. Jesus had never been separated from his father. Ever. And never will again. But for that moment, he was cut off. And I can't imagine what he was feeling, thinking. But he did that because he loves you and you and me. And the offer is there. The offer is there. Christ gets all the glory. I wasn't looking for him. He came looking for me. He came looking for you. Ethan, you want to just cue that up? Don't start it yet. So we looked at that parable, and we said it's the man in the, who finds the field. I think it's Jesus. The merchant finds a pearl. I think that's Jesus finding his bride, coming to earth for his bride, for you and I. That's how I see it, okay? But after conversion, so you've come to faith. Jesus has done a miracle work in your life, and you come to faith, and you're a believer in Christ, okay? Can you view that parable maybe a little differently? Can you then say, well, maybe now in my life, Maybe it is me who values Christ and what he's done for me. I think there's room there. I think there is. I think there's room there. I'm going to play you this little clip. Or actually, Ethan's going to play it for you. I'll give you a little heads up. If you know me at all, you know that I'm a really, really big fan of wrestling. High school and college wrestling. I just love it. I think it's the greatest sport God ever invented. But anyway, this young man that you're going to no, hear from... Don't start it yet, bud. But this young man you're going to hear from, his name is Aaron Brooks, okay? He wrestles for Penn State University, which has been team champions, I think, 10 or 12 years running now. Just a phenomenal program in college. He is a three-time NCAA Division I champion, and I think he's coming back to try for four. I'm not sure yet, but I think he's coming back to see if he can make it four for four. But if you know anything about wrestling, it's a really grueling sport. There's a lot of weight cutting and not eating the food you want to eat and a lot of working hard and training and hours and hours, like any other sport. But wrestling, I think, is kind of unique. But here's a guy who, in the sport of wrestling, you can't accomplish much more than he's accomplished. He's a three-time NCAA Division I champion. He's the best of the best. 
And I just want you to hear what he says. He's a follower of Jesus. I want you to hear what he says. Ethan, if you can play it. How does that help you on a night like tonight? Um, it's everything. Christ's resurrection is everything. It's not just his life, but his death and resurrection. You can only get that through him. The Holy Spirit only through him. No false prophets, no Muhammad, no anyone else. Only Jesus Christ himself. Power and finesse. Your calling card. What was this? Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Power. Holy Spirit power. It's everything. That's where it's from. Where'd the finesse come from? Holy Spirit as well. <laughs> uh, mom and dad, maybe. <laughs> a little bit of bone flesh. Oh, God. Uh, put in perspective one in three of these in a row. In dominating fashion, by the way. I'm blessed. Um, God used me. He gave me this platform for this right here. Take all. So that's all it's for. But I'm suffering, cutting weight. Home from, not away from my family. It's all for him, so it's all for his glory. Enjoy it. Put in the time and the sacrifices. Congratulations, Darren. Yeah. I apologize for that. The, the sound was not good. The whole point Aaron was saying there, and I watched the, the NCAA Finals live, and the, the, the interview with him is much longer than that, the whole thing. But the whole premise there was that this guy named Quinn Kessinich, who's the uh, guy with the microphone, he's Matt's side. And so every winner, 10 final matches, and every winner he grabs and he gives a little Matt's side interview real, with him real quick. And what's funny is in the, in the live one, He's talking to Aaron, and basically what Aaron said there was, he said, you're a three-time champion, how'd you do it? And he said, no, 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 you're not getting the point. The point is, God allowed me and gave me the talent to do that for this moment. I give the glory to Christ. And that's what he was saying right there in the end is that, no, no, no. And in the live interview, the part that I couldn't find, but... Three times, the announcer tries to pull him away and say, no, it's all about you. You did this. And three times, he said, you're not hearing me. God gave me that talent to elevate Christ in this platform right now, you and me, to speak to all these 15,000 people who are in the arena that Jesus gets the glory. And I just thought, there's a young man who in this day, and I've never met him, but I've followed him. I've watched him over the years. But at least in that moment when he... From our perspective, in my perspective, he had every right to go, yeah, I've worked really hard, and I've trained hard, and I've been disciplined, and I'm really good. And my three championships prove that. But instead he said, no, no, no. That was just an avenue, a tool for this moment, and this moment is it's all about Jesus, and he gets the glory for everything I've accomplished. It's because of the Holy Spirit power. And that was the last thing the announcer asked him. Where do you get your brute force, your power? He said, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Holy Spirit power. It's the Holy Spirit, yeah. Yeah, so, thanks, Ethan. So, if you're here this morning and are born again, and I want to stress born again, because that's the terminology Jesus used with the teacher of Israel. He said, you must be born again. It's not just head knowledge. It's not just, yeah, I agree with that. We were physically born once, you and I. But Jesus specifically says, you must be born again. You must be born again. So if you're sitting here and you are born again, and that's between you and Christ, you're the only ones who truly know, rejoice that Christ came searching and found you and redeemed you and said, you're mine, and you're mine not just for today and for next week and next year. You're mine on into eternity as Charlie Eubanks is now sitting with the one who created him.
Charlie, I know you're having a ball, brother. I love you. But if you're sitting here this morning and you're not born again, because I never, ever, ever want to make that assumption, but if you're sitting and you're not born again, maybe right now, maybe during this, you're hearing a little voice, you're feeling a little tug on your heart, you're feeling something that you haven't felt before. And what I would say to you is that Jesus is searching and he's stirring. Don't miss it. Come talk to me after the service. Come talk to one of your elders. Please. Because it's here today, gone tomorrow. Charlie Eubanks was with us, and I'm grateful he's home, and I'm grateful he's not in pain. Maureen misses him dearly. The family misses him dearly. We miss him. But I think even in that, I'm, I'm in the pulpit, the first one in the pulpit where a big hole is there. Charlie Eubanks was one that every other time I preached, he said, Gabe, I'm praying for you. And he's probably still praying. <laughs> he probably is. But he's physically not with us anymore. And the point simply there is that none of us are promised tomorrow. None of us are promised next week. Jesus says, my grace is sufficient for you today. And today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Open up, be responsive, receive, receive the gift. So the table, I know we've run a little long and I apologize, but the table, this is the one thing that Jesus says, when you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And the table represents the cross. It represents him giving his life away. Him taking all of our sin, boring it in his body, shedding his blood, which is the only thing that can wash away our sin, the shed blood of Christ. So as we do this, remember that, contemplate that, do this to his glory, because it is all about Jesus. He's always been, he created everything, he came for sinful mankind to redeem. He's in the process of gathering his church. And one day, he will present the church to himself in all of its glory. And my hope and the hope of your elders is that you're part of the church. Because I'm not promised tomorrow. Seize the moment today. Let's pray. King Jesus, there are no words for who you are. There are no words for the great love you have for us. It's heartbreaking to read how we have treated you, but it's also incredibly overwhelming your response to us instead of saying I don't need you I don't need to die for you you said I'm willing I will give my life I will take Gabe Hendricks sin in my body and I will die in his place because I love him and if you're hearing Jesus speak to you even right now this morning Know that he loves you. 
And all he wants you to do is let go and say, I'm sorry, please forgive me. And God's word promises that he will. So as we come to the table, Lord, may we partake of this in remembrance, true remembrance of who you are, all that you've done for us, and all that you've promised for us on into the future. In Christ's name and for his sake, amen.